All right. How's everyone doing tonight? Good. All right. Good job. Olivia's fantastic. You guys are just okay. She's fantastic. <laughs> was that her or was that who was fantastic? Oh, Colleen was fantastic. All right. Sorry about that. All right. Um, we are continuing our series called Elements, looking at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And instead of just going through Galatians 5 in itself, remember the fruit of the Spirit are things that our lives produce because we belong to God and His Spirit is in us. And so this is supposed to be what comes out of us. And so we are looking at each of the different fruit that is mentioned here, and I don't think Paul was trying to be all-inclusive, but I think he was trying to encapsulate really how God is to be seen in our lives. And it started off, you know, talking about love and joy, and when we see these things, I think it's easy for us at times to see, oh yeah, God is love, and yeah, joy of the Lord is my strength. And when it came to peace... Something happened in my mind, and maybe it happens in yours as well. I think of peace as something that I want, more than it being something that is supposed to be produced in me. Anyone else with me on that? It's like, I desire peace. But that's not what this is saying. When he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are supposed to be the things that our life is producing. And so the question is, how do I produce peace? Because I desperately want some. Anyone with me on that? It's like, okay, I, I get some amens there. I can remember years ago when I was not a follower of Christ and Uh, My cousins, they were actually second cousins, were people I looked up to. He owned a a guitar shop and and drove a Mercedes and was married to our second cousin. And I looked up to them and said, well, these are the people I want to be like. And I remember, I don't know how the conversation came, but someone asked her, if you could have anything in your life, what would it be? And I saw these people as successful. And so I thought, what is the answer going to be? What is she going to say? What is the thing that she wants when she's the person who I think has everything that I want? And I remember so clearly her saying, peace. She wanted peace. And that rocked my world. And it's like, what? You don't have peace. Well, maybe I need to find something more than actually what you have. And actually, they found something more as well. They both found Christ. But you see, the idea for peace here in the word is a word that means tranquil. And this is something that is supposed to be produced in our life. Now, a while back when we went up to Lodi, Corrine and I and then Denise and Dennis were there. You know, went up there for a fundraiser, and while they were working hard, Karine and I were out eating because they they got us some places to go out. And so we went to this one place. It was called the Dancing Fox, I think it was called, and it had this one appetizer. And this appetizer was this bread with this type of cheese. I don't remember what the cheese was. And then it had boysenberries on it. And then they had this special kind of sweet dressing. And it was just like layer on top of layer of goodness. I mean, it was just wonderful. And when I think of peace, 
what I want to do is try and bring layer upon layer of what this piece looks like. And not only what does it look like, how do we produce it? What are some things we can practically do that will help bring peace into our lives? And so there's a few scriptures that I'm going to go through and just talk on. And then I'm going to get kind of to a foundation that I want to really build, kind of our main course. This was just the appetizer that we had. And the appetizer was delicious, but it really just set the, the table for what the main course was. And, and in John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, I think this is interesting because Jesus is saying he's giving us his peace. What was his peace? His peace was the relationship he had with God, that he could trust God and that he ends this. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid actually makes me a little afraid. Because why do I have to not be afraid? You see, something about peace is supposed to cast away this fear. And perfect love casts out all fear. The peace that he has is the relationship and assurance that he has with God. And that is what he is giving to us. And so the beginning of this peace that Jesus gives has to do with our relation first and foremost with God. Is God a part of our life? Is God the most important part of our life as he was to Jesus? Hebrews chapter 13 verses 5 and 6, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you Never will I forsake you. That's Deuteronomy 31. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what mere mortals can do to me. I love that translation, the NIV. I don't, I'm not afraid what mere mortals can do. Why? Because I have something divine. I have a love that is connected to God. He will not leave me. He will never forsake me. I have confidence that the Lord is my helper. That's why I'm not afraid. And this is where we go for peace. Because we live in a world where everything changes. The economy is changing. Our health changes. But... The Lord does not change and he remains faithful. In Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4, it says, You will keep in perfect peace. This isn't just peace. This is the bread with the cheese and the berries on top. Okay? This is perfect peace. You will keep in perfect peace. Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. And, and so we start to see that perfect peace comes with a trust in a God who doesn't change. Peace comes, the peace that Jesus gives that the world does not offer is a peace that is found in the relationship with God. 
and he will keep us in that perfect peace if our minds are stayed on him, if we are putting that trust in him, steadfast trust in God produces a life that has peace. One more. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, if it just ended there, I'd be a little ticked because I'd want to know, thank you very much. Now what, right? So how do I not be anxious about anything? He tells us. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Here's how we get rid of anxiety is we bring our anxieties to the Lord. Cast your care on him because he cares for you. Verse 7, he says, And the peace of God which transcends, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It won't just keep your minds, it will guard them. A peace that transcends understanding is supposed to be ours. This is the peace that Jesus gives us. This is a peace that is connected to God. And so instead of being anxious about what it is, we cannot change. And you find out your wife has cancer. How do you not be anxious? You bring everything with prayer and petition and thanksgiving before God. And he will guard your heart and your mind. Why? Because he is the rock eternal. He does not change. And you're not now trusting in your circumstances, but we're trusting in the God who is above all our circumstances. So that's setting the stage. Those are some passages to kind of give us an idea of what this peace looks like and where it is at. It's, it's hidden in God and we need to find it in God But let's look at some practical things. Turn to Mark chapter 4. The Gospel of Mark chapter 4. And we're going to look at a situation with Jesus and the disciples, starting at verse 35. Mark 4, 35 through 41. Then that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other other boats with them with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Think of that. There's a little accusation there, right? Don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet or peace, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Now, this storm comes. 
here's some fishermen, they're in a boat, and all of a sudden we see that it moves them to a place of fear. Their circumstances are in one where they are now afraid. And so they, they go to Jesus and they say, don't you care? How dare them accuse God? I mean, no one does that, right? None of you ever accuse God. None of you ever say, God, why? None of you, right? No. Just all of us at some point in our lives say, God, why? Why don't you care that we're going to drown? God, don't you care about this situation? God, don't you care that my wife has cancer? Don't you care, God, that my son is suffering from this or, or that this has taken place, that my business has happened, that I've lost whatever it is? God, don't you care? And there is this panic and there is fear. But you see, a storm is pushing them somewhere. Storms do that. Do you think the disciples had more faith before or after the storm? Afterwards, right? See, the storm reorients us. It changes our perception. We reach out for help. We get help. Maybe you, you go to counseling or, or maybe you ask someone for assistance or you go to the doctor, whatever it is. The storm happens, the situation happens in your life and it reorients you and you have to make changes because this has happened. It, it's what we do as human beings. It's what we're supposed to do is to adjust the situation we're in based on what's happening. There's a, a passage in Acts chapter 28 where Paul is shipwrecked, right? The ship goes down and they land on the island of Malta and they get off the ship and they go and they, they make a fire to try and dry themselves off. And as they're getting wood for the fire and they're putting it together, a, a snake bites Paul and it's a poisonous one. And the people think, this is it, the guy's cursed. He didn't die in the shipwreck, so now the gods are sending a snake to get him. And he shakes the snake off into the fire, and then he lives. Now, I know that we've all had bad days, okay? But when was the last time shipwreck, snake bite, same day? Okay? Bad day. But this incident allows Paul an audience with Publius, who is the chief official of the island, whose father was sick, who Paul then prays for and heals, and then heals for many who were sick and is able to bring the gospel to the people who were there. And it all happens because there was a shipwreck. Paul was not planning to go to Malta, but there was a shipwreck. He found himself there on the island it wasn't on his schedule, but it was there that he was useful. You see, the cancer isn't in your schedule. The loss of your son isn't in your schedule. The betrayal by someone isn't in your schedule. But sometimes it takes a shipwreck to get us where we actually need to go where we need to learn something, where we need to trust deeper, where we need to have a change in our lives. 
I began looking to start a church up at St. Helena in the Napa era. That's where I was looking. Ended up here. Wasn't a plan. And it was almost a shipwreck that led us here. Wasn't planning it, but trusting God in our circumstances is what's necessary. And so if peace is going to be something that comes from our lives, if peace is going to be something that is produced, it has to first be established in our lives. And the only way that is established in our lives is through trusting in God in the storms of our life. See, it's when the storm comes that the possibility for peace to be there can be seen. When I'm doing training with dogs, one of the things I always tell people is the dog needs to see that you're in control. Otherwise, they won't hear you. See, if you're telling the dog to leave it alone, but you're panicking and you're going, stop it, stop it, leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it, leave it. All the dog is going to see is they won't hear a thing because you're in a panic. What the dog has to do is see that you're in charge when you say, leave it. The dog says, oh, okay, you mean leave it. Now I understand. Why? Because you are under control. When you hit the storm of life, it's the opportunity you have to actually trust God. It's where we get to see what we're made of. And we first need to to recognize that if we're going to trust God, well then... We have to be where God is at. See, Jesus was in the boat. Is Jesus in your boat? Is he in your life? He's not just in the boat. We don't just invite Jesus in the boat to be one of our mates. We invite him in the boat to be the captain, right? Jesus, take the wheel. Isn't that a song or something like that, right? It's... We want you to be in charge. We need to to get past the place of don't you care that we're going to drown and get to the place where we say, okay, God, you're in charge. And where is God in the storm? He's there. He's in the boat. He's there with you. He's there. He's the one who says, peace, be still. And he rebukes the wind. You see, peace comes after the rebuke. The quietness comes after he rebukes the wind. And the word rebuke is an official order by a commanding officer. It's a a legislative authority or power. It's a judge's verdict when the the gavel comes down. It means to to punish, to warn, or to put on probation. That's the rebuke. Sometimes what we need to do is put our problems on probation. We need to rebuke them. You see, instead of complaining to God, 
there comes a time when we, we have to have faith where we stop telling God about our problems and we start telling our problems about God. And we come to a place where it's not just, oh God, oh God, why, oh God, why, oh God, why? But we say, okay, God, you're in this boat. I rebuke this problem's control on my life. And I am going to allow the trust in you to be what guides me through this storm at this time and not the other way around. I'm not going to be driven by the problem. I'm going to let you drive me through this problem. We have to stop letting our problems dictate how we feel and start dictating them by our faith and our trust in God. If peace is going to be produced in our life, it comes from our faith where we begin to trust God in our life and the circumstances, we need to start rebuking some things in our life. We need to start saying, hey, quiet. I'm not going to allow that voice in my life. Yesterday, last night, Lauren, my daughter, and I watched uh, Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. And she had the young girl, Malala, I don't know how to say her last name, Yousafzai. She's a Pakistani girl who's a Nobel Peace winner now because she refused to stop going to school. And the Taliban came into her bus and shot her and some others in the head. She survived. And she was talking about that incident. And Oprah was asking her question and asked her, so when I tell you God, what, what do you think about God? What, is, what comes to your mind? And the first thing she says is love. That God is love. And her father was there too. And she was talking to her father and saying, you know, this happening, did you feel it was your fault because this was your daughter? You, you're helping your daughter. You're encouraging your daughter to read and to do these things. And then it causes this to happen in your life, what, what do you think? What, what happened to you at that time with the blame? And, and what is your thought when it comes to God? And he said something very profound. He said, when I am at the worst place in my life, I find that God is the one who stands beside me to help me through that. And he said, when my daughter was there in the hospital after she had been shot, I knew God was there. And I was like, whoa, that is powerful. To recognize that God is taking you where you cannot go is at the place when you are at your end, that's when God shows up. He's asking, well, do you hate these men who did this? He goes, no. She said, I feel sorry for them. Because their God, what did she say? Oh, it's wonderful. Their God is a small, not legalist, is a small God who thinks that you have to wear certain clothes and do certain things to please him. She goes, I remember just thinking to myself, is God up there looking at me and saying, oh, your dress is too short, you're going to hell? He goes, does God really care about that? You see, 
that God was too small. And what happens is they found peace not because their circumstances were overwhelming them, but because God was there in spite of them. You see, if we underestimate God's authority as a child of God, then you're underestimating God's authority. If we don't recognize that God has our lives in spite of whatever comes into them, then we'll never have peace. We exercise God's authority like we exercise our muscles. We're supposed to exercise our muscles by putting them into practice. And and the way you exercise the presence of God is by recognizing the presence of God in the storms of life. The, The way peace comes is by first rebuking the storm that is there and not allowing it to have the control over your life telling it, peace, be still. Peace means to refrain from speaking. That's why in some translations it says quiet. It means the same thing, peace and quiet. It means to refrain from speaking, to to make no sound, to hit the mute button, to muzzle. And then I started thinking, okay, it's out of the overflow of our hearts that our mouths speak, that words are the x-ray to our heart. The words are what is actually in us. And some things you need to just not say. There are some things that you need to, to stop and there are some things that you need to say. And so in that storm of life, maybe what we need to stop saying is, oh God, why me? Why is this happening? And maybe what we need to say is stop. I'm not going to listen to that voice and instead I'm going to acknowledge the presence of God with me here in the midst of my problem. Jeremiah chapter 1, one of my favorite chapters, God is is speaking to Jeremiah and he, he calls him and he says, I have chosen you. From your mother's womb, I have chosen you to be this prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah says, I can't, I'm just a child. I can't do this. In the King James, it says, say not. Say not that I am just a child. Don't say it. Don't disqualify yourself if God has qualified you. See, we need to watch what we say. Because it is our hearts follow our words. And when we keep saying, oh, I'm so stupid. And oh, I I don't know. I just can't believe. And no, I can't do this. Our heart starts following the things that we say. And God would say, say not that you can't do this. Say not that I am not here with you. Say not those things. Instead say, no, I will trust in the Lord. I believe that he will never leave nor forsake me. I'm trying hard to watch my words, especially with what I say towards other people. So I'm not a person who talks down on people. I don't want to talk about people behind their backs. I want to brag about people behind their backs, but not ridicule people. 
so that I am not that kind of person who will bring that attitude with me, my heart going there. There's that old story of the wise man and the, the woman who was gossiping and she felt like, I'm not saying anything bad. What I'm saying is true and it really doesn't matter. And then the wise man says, well, I want you to do something for me. She says, sure. He goes, take this pillow filled with feathers. I want you to go in the middle of town and I want you to open it and shake out all the feathers. So she goes and she shakes out the feathers and it was a a windy day and so the the wind catches the feathers and they're flying up and all around. And then she comes back to the wise man. I did what you said. And he says, well, now I want you to go back and I want you to get every one of those feathers. She says, "I, I can't, that's impossible. You see, it's impossible to take back what you have said. Before you say it, You're the master of your words. After you say it, your words master you. So be very careful what you say. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, but I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty or idle, the word means unemployed, word that they have spoken, every word that has no value. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. And it's not saying this to, to just put, make you afraid. It's to empower you. Recognize the value, the importance of the things that you say and let your heart follow words of faith and trust and God. Say not, God, where are you? Instead, say, God, I know you're here. And I will trust in you. Ephesians chapter 4, we went through this not too long ago. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up to their needs. If it may benefit those who listen, that it may benefit those who listen. You know, there's a couple of idioms. One of them is a say your piece, P-I-E-C-E. Means whatever you want to say, say it. The other is hold your peace, P-A-C-E. Hold your tongue. You can't do both. You can't say your peace and hold your peace. You have to choose. So how do you know when to say your peace? Because sometimes you have to. And when to hold your peace. Ephesians 4.29 is the litmus test. Is it helpful? Does it build up? Do your words help people? Are they building others or even yourself up? Or are they tearing down? If they're tearing down, then you need to hold your peace. If they build up, then you need to speak your peace. Does it bring grace to those who hear it? If peace is going to be a product of our lives, like it's supposed to be, like Galatians is talking about, then what do we need to rebuke? What do we need to say not? And then what do we need to bring peace to? You see, even this evening when I was singing and when we were singing, those words aren't just... It's not just words that we sing. 
they're a declaration that we make. And that declaration we make is what we really believe. And if peace is going to be something that is a product of our life, it is going to be connected to the people we are and the things that we do and the things that we say. Because you will not have peace in your life if you keep saying the things that lead you to not trust God. I'm not talking about being honest. See, Job could say, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. There's nothing wrong with being honest and saying you're hurting and that it's difficult or asking for help. There's nothing wrong. You're not weak when you ask for help. But you lack faith when you say God doesn't care. Don't you care that we down? You, 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 you stop trusting in God and you lose the possibility of peace when you take Jesus out of the boat. And so what we need to do is make sure that not only Jesus is in the boat, but that we're trusting him for the things that are taking place. That we rebuke the things that need to be rebuked we speak peace to the things that need to be spoken to and allowing our lives to trust God so that peace can be a product of our lives. If you actually believe that he is there, you will have peace. When you know his presence is there, even like Malala and her father, they could say, hey, in this situation, God was with us. God who is love and not the restrictions that the Taliban have put. He was with us and he carried us through this. That's a powerful statement. That's a powerful thing. And you see, I believe that that's where God wants to show up in our lives. And I don't know their faith. I can't speak unto them. I know she did mention belief in Jesus, but I don't know what that looks like. My point is to bring us to a place where we acknowledge God, see him there with us and then rebuke the things that would tell us he's not. Let's pray. Father, we all want peace, Lord, but now it is up to us to trust you for it. Lord, to trust you for our lives. And God, there are so many times in my life where I believe in you, but my words betray me. My complaining betrays me. My talking about or against betrays that faith that I claim to have. And so I ask that we would be people who would be able to speak truth and love that we would speak things that are building up and edifying, that we would not be like Jeremiah and say, we can't do this, but we would trust that you can do a work through us. That is why you've come into our lives to take charge and to do what we could not do. 
And Lord, maybe we have to ask the simple question is, are you in the boat? Are, are you really in our lives? Are, are we just going through motions? Are, are we going to church? Are we playing church? But really, we need you in the boat. And Lord, maybe it's the storm that's taking place to shake us up and to wake us to, to say, you know what, Lord, you haven't been in the boat lately. I, I've just been complaining. And Lord, I want you to take charge. And maybe this storm that we are going through is just to awaken us to where we are with God. Where is Jesus in our lives? And Lord, may we make the changes necessary to trust you so that peace can be produced in us. I ask this in Jesus' name.